The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to all of you here. Always so good to see people in God's house. And, and for those of you online, I know there's a number of folks and my wife being one of them. So she's at home taking care of the babies and, and uh, she's joining us online as, as some of your family members are as well that have to be home. So welcome to all of you and, uh, and greetings also to those of you that will be joining us on the podcast later or on our YouTube channel that are actually not tuning in to be fed of God's word, but are simply here to get triggered about something because you know who you are that's tuning in, and I would just invite you that if you want to be fed of God's Word, then continue on, but for those that are just looking for a reason to be angry, and again, you know who you are, please just pass on by. We don't need more angry people in the world, so um, you know, people used to get hate mail. Now they send hate texts and hate emails, and I filter them through God's word, and then the delete button is that's what that's for. So um, church, normally I would ask you to go to a particular text that we would be going through in an expository preaching kind of way, but um, I'm going to be in a multitude of texts today. So if you're handy at flipping through your Bible quickly, then feel free to follow along. We'll begin in a moment in Daniel 2 verse 21. So you can go there if you wish, or given the rate at which I'm going to be going through a number of texts, I invite you to really just jot them down in the margin of your Bible or wherever it is that you take notes on your bulletin, and, and please go back to them later. Always ensure that, that the Word of God is being, that the Word of truth is being rightly divided. Um, so church, we have been through a tense political season, a crazy political season. You had two men that were opposite in almost seemingly every way, and was there voter fraud? Was there not? Was there enough voter fraud to, to cause the outcome of the election to be different? There was this storming of the Capitol. Who was it that actually stormed the Capitol? Was it Antifa? Was it supporters of, the, of Trump? What, who, what, what happened? This, and it's left, at least for me, and I know many of you, it's, it's left the believer wondering, what's, what's the commission for us? What's the biblical response to all that craziness? What's, what's the commission of our king? What do we do now? Now that as best we can tell, the, the dust has settled somewhat politically in our country today. And, and, and what, what do we do moving forward over these next years? What's, what should our attitude be? I'd like to start with just a simple statement. Then I would like to hopefully show you through God's word why I believe this statement is, is true. And the statement that I'd like to start with is simply this. For the Christian, it does not matter that Joe Biden is president. Now, before you throw your rotten tomatoes, just hold on. There's, there's a direction for this sermon. I hope you hang with me till the end because we've got to wade through some stuff before we get to the part that I'm really excited to get to. But the statement I'd like to make is that it does not matter for the Christian that Joe Biden is president. And you might say, well, Pastor Ben, how... 
Why does it not matter? Didn't you preach the first installment of this commissioned by the king type of sermon back in October telling all of us that the very clear Christian option, yes, in spite of the man's many flaws, was to vote to re-elect President Trump? And that is true. And the reason that is true, I guess to give you a snapshot of, of why that was preached then, is because there were a whole host, and there are a whole host of people that would call themselves Christians, that were confused about some things that Christians just ought not to be confused about. Things like whether or not a Christian should support pro-life leaders. Well, not to be confused about that, church. That ought to be clear. Things like whether or not Christians should, should, should support pro-Israel leaders. Well, not to be confused about that. Whether or not Christians ought to be able to say things, even from their own pulpits to be, able to, to be able to say what's right and wrong anymore. We ought not to be confused about that. We ought to be so moved by the cross that the answer to us in our heart when we say, okay, there's this thing that we feel compelled to say that we know is true, and we know a whole bunch of people are misled and deceived in, and then to somehow fear this, feel this fear that would silence us. We ought to be commissioned by our king such that we're moved by the cross to say whatever it is that needs to be said. Difficult, indifferent, whatever. If it, if it needs to be said, then to say it and to move forward in unity. Now certainly, church, we mourn and will mourn moral decline under any leader. Obviously, regardless of who it is. And, and the two areas that I know for me that I've been mourning over of this new leadership we've been experiencing were things that we knew would be coming, which are the expansion of abortion and the blurring of gender lines that God has so clearly marked. And we ought to mourn those things. So you might say, well, Pastor Ben, how, how does it still not matter to the Christian if we're going to mourn these things that this new leadership will bring in and, and support these ungodly principles, all these different things? How is it still true that for the Christian it doesn't really matter that Joe Biden is president? I'd like to give you another statement that will serve as our points this morning, and I'll give it to you one piece at a time. And the first piece is simply this, the reason. This, this explains the reason as to why it doesn't matter for the believer. The first part is simply this, and gentlemen, this is our first slide. Our king is sovereign. I invite you to write that down, be it in your phone, in your tablet, or whatever it is you're taking notes on, write that down. There's more of that statement to come, but the first section is that our king is sovereign. If you believe that, say amen. Now, the word sovereign is kind of a Christian word anymore. Most people in the world probably don't even know what it means. A lot of people in church may not even know what it means. But if I could give you a very simple and quick definition of that word, it would simply say that if we were to ask ourselves a question, what does it mean for Christ to be sovereign? It simply means that he knows what we don't and can do what we can't. He knows what we don't and can do what we can't. He is sovereign. He knows things that we don't and can do things that we can't. Now, most of us really like many of the ways in which God's sovereignty interacts with our lives. We really like God's sovereignty when it comes down to knowing the numbers of hairs on our head. That's a comforting feeling, knowing that our Lord knows us that much. We like the way in which God's sovereignty interacts with our lives in the Jeremiah 29.11 kind of way of, I know the good plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. We like that kind of sovereignty. We like the kind of sovereignty that God has when he says that he knows what we need before we even ask. Nod your head, yes, if you like that kind of sovereignty. We like that kind of thing. We like the promises that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, where he said to his disciples, see the birds of the air? 
They don't reap or sow or store into barns, but yet their father feeds them. How much more important are you than they? We like that feeling of being able to drive and you see a flock of birds and you say, I'm more important than you. And we like that feeling of knowing that God promises to feed us. We, we like his sovereignty. That We like his sovereignty that Jesus also said there in Matthew 6. Consider the lilies of the field. See how they're clothed and adorned. Not even Solomon in all his wonderful splendor was clothed like these, one of these lilies in the field that doesn't even spin or toil. How much more is God going to promise to clothe you? We like those promises. We like the way in which much of our Lord's sovereignty interacts with our lives. But there are some elements of his sovereignty that we don't like very much. Or should I say that make us uncomfortable. Things like when God calls us into uncomfortable places. When God leads us into a time like it was for perhaps even the Israelites when there was non-God-honoring leadership over them. We're not comfortable with those things. They don't feel good. They don't feel good like the promises of Matthew 6. So the pastoral loving encouragement that I would simply like to give all of us regarding these areas of our Lord's sovereignty that interacts with our lives in a way that's uncomfortable is simply to get over it, okay? It's time to toughen up, buttercup. There, it's, we have believed this lie, that, that it, and it's a lie prevalent in America today. It's a lie prevalent among Christians all over, as best I can tell. And it is a lie prevalent in this church as well. That, that our faith, that our walk with Jesus, it's almost like we believe that Jesus' greatest aspiration in eternity is to make us comfortable. That our walk with Jesus is supposed to be this comfort thing. Is it true that in His presence there is fullness of joy? Yes. Is it true that at the right hand of the Father where Christ is seated, that there's pleasures forevermore? Yes. But it has nothing to do with comfort. We have believed that lie, and it's a lie that we ought not to believe. We ought not to believe any lie at all whatsoever so if you are ready to wade through some waters with me church about how our lord's sovereignty interacts with these uncomfortable kinds of things and you're ready to hear that preach say amen we're in daniel 2 verse 21 and i'll be going through scriptures quickly so hang on with us as we go it says and he everyone say he being our lord and he changes the times and the seasons he removes kings and raises up kings. Ladies and gentlemen, God determines leadership. God determined that Pharaoh would lead in Egypt in the time in which the Israelites were in bondage. God determined that the king Josiah, that young, great, wonderful king of Israel that had a heart like his father's, father David that tore down the high places, the Baal worship places, all those things, God determined that he would lead in the time in which he did. God determined that Pilate, that governor of Judea, the weak-willed governor we all know of in the Easter story, God determined that he would be a governor in Judea at that time. God determined that George Washington would lead in the time and the place and the way that he did in our country's history. I heard kind of a funny story, at least it was funny to me, uh, just this week of, um, it was before Donald Trump was elected into office as president, and him and Pastor Robert Jeffress, who is the pastor of First Baptist Dallas, which is obviously in Texas, they were in a jet flying around together, and Robert Jeffress was helping them do some campaigning things and whatnot, and they were very close to the election. And the pastor looks at Donald Trump and he says, Sir, I, I believe that God is getting ready to place you into authority into, in America. To which, as Pastor Jeffress tells the story, he says that Donald Trump leans back in his 
Sharon, he says, do you believe that Barack Obama was appointed of God to lead in the way that he did? To which the pastor answered and said, absolutely, absolutely. He, our Lord, changes times and season, and he, our Lord, removes kings and raises up kings. Now, this is not something we just see in the Old Testament. We see it in the New as well. In Romans 13, verse 1, part B of that first verse, it says, For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So as we're filling in our points this morning for this statement that we are unpacking, our king is sovereign. If you believe it, say yes. Next part of that statement, in appointing authority. Our king is sovereign in appointing authority. Get ready for a statement that I know many of you will not like. President Joe Biden's authority is appointed by God. Just like it was for Pharaoh, just like it was for Josiah and Pilate and George Washington and Barack Obama and Donald Trump, etc., etc., etc. Now this doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good like God's promise to feed us and to clothe us and to, to know what we need before we even know how to ask for it. It doesn't feel like those things. It feels a little bit more like it did perhaps it did for the Israelites when they're in bondage in Egypt. Exodus chapter 9, they get to the sixth plague. Moses and Aaron are going around, going to the Pharaoh, saying, let God's people go. The Pharaoh refuses. And then this great plague that God would bring upon the Egyptians to, to bring Pharaoh to this point of letting the Israelites go. And they get to this sixth plague, which was painful boils all over the bodies of these Egyptians. And, and perhaps the Israelites are thinking, yes, like finally we'll get to this place of pressure where, where he'll let us go. But what happens? Pharaoh's heart is hardened and it was hardened by God it was it was God appointing him in that kind of authority and it didn't feel good for the Israelites then perhaps we're in the same place today where it doesn't feel good where we where the Israelites were praying God do you not see our affliction do you not see the way in which our children are growing seeing their parents being brutalized do, God do you not see what we're going through perhaps you and I have been praying some of the, of the same things of God do you not know of the many more children that will be aborted because of this leadership and for people that would claim to be Christians, and, and that's who they supported, it's like, man, what in the world happened there? The devil is cunning in his deception, absolutely cunning, that he could get people to say they are believers and also to support that. And you and I are here praying, Lord, how, do, do, you not see the, do you not see all these babies that are being aborted? Do you not see these good, these wonderfully good lines that you have drawn in the sand of saying this is male, this is female, and then people saying, get rid of all those lines. Do you not see this, Lord? Do you not see, these, do you not see you being mocked in these ways? So this type of God's sovereignty doesn't always feel good. Maybe it does to you, but to me it doesn't feel good to, too good sometimes. And while we're in it, while we're wading through this difficult text, let's go ahead and handle the rest of it. Here's another piece of scripture that may or may not feel good. But remember, church, that we're going somewhere. Romans 13, verse 1, part A of that first verse. It says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. So of those people that God has appointed in his sovereignty, with the exclusion of it prohibiting us from obeying our Lord, we are to submit to those types of authorities. Now there is something to be said certainly of when that needs to stop. And here's what I mean by that. Yes, it is true that we are to Submit to governing authorities, Romans 31. But it's also true that we, we have a keen understanding of Acts 5.29 that says we ought to obey God 
rather than men. It has become important. It's always been important, but it's increasingly becoming more important for you and I to be able to have the wisdom, for you and I to be able to have the discernment to know when it is that we submit to the government and when it is that we do not submit to the government when they are prohibiting us from from following our Lord and from being obedient. Uh, I hate... um, there's some checks that for me throughout the year, we're getting close to tax season, so perhaps you, like I have, have reviewed some of the checks that you have written this year. And for me personally, there are some checks that are just like super easy to write. Saving for my kids' future, tithing, that kind of stuff. It's just, I don't even think about it. Like that stuff is just so easy. But there is one check that I write in the year that just irks me. And it's, it's the check that I write for like 45 or 50 some odd dollars to buy a sticker to put on the back of my car. Y'all, I can spend $1 and buy Daisy 50 stickers. And here I am as an adult spending $50 to buy one sticker. The business of buying stickers gets a lot worse as you get older, apparently. And this, there's something that just really irks me. It's like, okay, pay all this money for this little sticker, and I'm going to stick it on the back of the car that I bought with my own money, that I paid taxes on to buy, that I drive on the roads that I also pay annual taxes on to upkeep these roads. And it's just like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense of what these funds are going through that I have to pay. But what do we do? We render to Caesar what is Caesar's. At least as best I can tell for me, there's nothing about paying the $50 for that goofy little sticker that I stick on the back of my license plate that prohibits me from obeying my Lord. There's nothing that prohibits me in that. So I render to Caesar what is Caesar's. I buy Daisy 50 stickers with $1, and I buy myself one sticker with $50, and I continue on. But, church, that's, that's an example of the Romans 13, 1, part A interpretation. But, church, don't forget the Acts 5, 29. There is a point where you stop... Romans 13 wanting and you begin Acts 5 29ing when you understand when when the government says something to do something that is in clear opposition to our walk with the Lord and being obedient to him when the government comes and says you have to shut down your church for any reason you stop the thir- the Romans 13 and you begin the Acts 5. You say, Mr. Government Man, you can go jump in the creek. <laughs> I am going to obey my Lord. Yes, I will submit to the government to the extent that I'm able to serve my Lord. But when it is in clear opposition, I ought to obey God rather than man. If you say, understand, say amen. amen. So if you are just joining us, whether on the podcast or whatever, just to be triggered, get your pencil ready because you're about ready to hear it. There has been church, and we've all seen it, a huge huge misinterpretation of Romans 13. This notion that you just have to do whatever it is that someone else tells you to do. I'm going to be convicted of the sin that whatever the culture says I'm guilty of, I'm just going to, and and, and whatever the government, if the government says we've got to shut down our church and we can't fellowship, then I'm just going to do that. And, and, and church, hear me on this. And I'm not claiming to be a prophet, prophet, nor for this to be prophetic, but I've got two eyeballs to look at the world. And you've probably noticed it too. What will be happening next is there will be people saying, the government says that that we have to oversee these homosexual marriages and and well the government says that we can no longer preach out of the gospels because jesus on a cross is offensive to some and you're going to see pastors and churches bow down to that kind of stuff absolutely not yes romans 13 1 to the extent church that we can obey our lord and when they conflict acts 5 29 so we are commissioned by our king and here's where we sit Our king is sovereign, 
in appointing authority, and we have this clear understanding of when we are to obey that authority and when we are to disobey that authority. If you understand that, say amen. This next piece of biblical interpretation is so important. And as a matter of fact, I'd love for you to turn to Acts 2, verse 22. Turn your Bibles to Acts 2, verse 22. This section is of Peter, who was formerly the fisherman, who was then the, the cowardly apostle who denied Christ there in the courtyard. And then he obeyed Christ in staying in Jerusalem to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, this helper. Now he's the Holy Spirit, and, and now he's standing up to preach. And, and there's something in this great Pentecost Day message that he preaches pertaining to the crucifixion, pertaining to the Easter story that is just so vital for us moving forward as believers today. Acts 2, verse 22. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. So he says, you took Christ who was clearly the Son of God, made known to you clearly that He was the Son of God, and you crucified Him. According to God's plan and purposes, you crucified Him with your lawless deeds, your lawless hands. So as we interpret this church, we could ask ourselves the question, was it a good, righteous, and God-honoring thing that He was betrayed and, and accused and spit on and beaten? Well, the answer is certainly no. But when you take a step back from it and you see the whole picture, when you take a step back from it and you see the purpose and knowledge of God in that whole plan, you then ask yourself, is it a good thing that Christ was crucified? What's the answer? Yes, it's a good thing that He was crucified. What was it that John the Baptist said as Jesus was walking down the bank of the Jordan? Behold, the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. It was a good thing that he died on that cross because if he didn't, there would still be a cross crucifixion kind of death that would be pending for us. Praise God for the cross. Amen? When you look at the intricacies of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers, were those good things? No, they intended it for evil. But you take a step back and you see the whole purpose and foreknowledge of God and you realize that God intended it for good so yes they through their wicked hands through their wicked works they sold him into slavery but that God used it to save with Joseph and leadership saving potentially millions of people with his leadership that he offered they intended it for evil God intended it for good was it a good thing that Pharaoh and his armies were rushing down towards the Red Sea with the Red Sea on one side and the Israelites right in the middle? And they're... No, that wasn't a good thing. They intended it for evil, certainly. But you take a step back and you see the whole picture. How God split the sea wide open for His children to walk through on dry ground. And then the armies pursue and follow them and then God uses that exact situation to swallow up the enemies of God's children. They intended it for evil, but God used it for good. Was it a good thing that the, that the Israelites were in, in this Babylonian exile and, and all the things that took place there? No, they intended it for evil. But you see the stories that come out of there, like Daniel in the lion's den, 
and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And you see the lessons that come out of that and, and, and that they intended it for evil, but God used it to teach us and to teach them something wonderful. Was it a good thing, church, that when COVID-19 hit, that the devil and a godless culture used it greatly against the church? And sometimes it's hard for us to remember that and the, us sitting in this church, church that's growing and all these things, that to remember this thing leveled lots of churches, and lots of churches are still, to this day, leveled because of COVID-19. Were those little pieces of it good, God-honoring things when everybody was saying, shut down the churches? No. The devil and a godless culture intended it for evil. But I believe we're starting to see the other side of this thing. Because in all my years of ministry, for the first time ever, I am now having conversations with people saying things like, you know... I've never thought about persecution before, but now I've thought about it. I, you hear these stories of churches being persecuted in, in Canada, and, and I've never really thought about what, what would happen if, if it came down to I've either got to give up my faith or, or my life would be in jeopardy or my job would be in jeopardy. But you know what? Now, Pastor Ben, I've got this, I've got this strength inside of me that I've never had before. I've got this tenacity inside of me that says, you know what? Let the persecution come. I already know what my Savior has done for me. I'm commissioned by my King. Let it happen as it may. They intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. So church, here's the point that I want to get to today. Our king is sovereign in appointing authority. And this is next slide, gentlemen. And over the wicked acts of authority. Our king is sovereign in appointing authority and over the wicked acts of authority. Our king does not need God-honoring leadership in the White House. Why? Because he can take the acts of the godly and the acts of the ungodly and use them both for his purposes. Use them both for his plan. Use them both for his good intended purposes that only he can use them for. Amen. Somebody say amen if you believe that. Church, what was God doing on election night? I guarantee you he was not doing what many of us were doing. He was not wringing his hands. He was not pacing the living room carpet. He was not saying, oh God, what are we going to do about Pennsylvania? He was not saying those things. He was not saying those things. He, he, why? Because he can, he can do things with the evil acts that we cannot do. Church, Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he has put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that was not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. We are living in this time where we know for, we, we read our Bibles and we know that Christ is in command. If you believe that, say amen. We understand that he is more powerful. Yes, there's this earthly God of the earth being the devil kind of thing, but, but that Christ is supreme over it all. We understand that. We believe that. But we're in this time where we don't see it yet. We do not yet see all things put under him. We see the abortion doctor carrying out their murder. Well, Pastor Ben, maybe we shouldn't say it's murder. No, it's murder. And I'm not confused about that. And if you're looking for a preacher that's confused about that, you came to the wrong place today. I'm not confused about that. It's murder. That Governor Andrew Cuomo taking sick, diseased people and placing them strategically with immunocompromised elderly folks who he knows are going to die from the illnesses that these people have that guy is a murderer 
And I'm not confused about that. And I certainly hope that you aren't either. I'm not confused about it. And to think that there are people that would call themselves believers that support that kind of heinous crime wickedness. It's dead wrong. It's absolutely dead wrong. Church, has it ever occurred to you, because it didn't really occur to me until this week, you know, um, the book of Revelation teaches that after this church is raptured off this earth, that the church is lifted out of here, and all that's left on the earth is the Antichrist and godless rebelling against God. God haters, haters of what God has done, haters of what God has called good. And there's coming a day when Christ is going to be riding a white horse. He's going to be wearing a robe dipped in blood with a crown on his head and a sword, which is the word coming out of his mouth. And with him are going to be you and me. For those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ today, we're going to be riding with him, coming against this godless world. And it never occurred to me until this week, it's like, have you ever thought to yourself that 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 abortion doctor, every time that they have performed that murderous act, little did they know that every time that they use that suction tube and all the devices they have, their, their, their weapons of choice and the murders they commit, that... that assuming they don't repent, assuming that they are not washed by the blood of Christ, and they're on this earth roaming about, hating God like they do, and they have not repented, they're going to look up and they're going to see Jesus coming back, back, but that's not all they're going to see. They're going to see you and I, and they're going to see lots of other people. You know who those other people are? All the people that they aborted. And they're going to realize on that day that it was not just a clump of cells, that it was a spirit, that it was a person, made by God. And little did they know that every time that they committed a murder, they were just enlarging the army that's now coming against them. Why? Because our king is sovereign and appointing authority and over the wicked acts of authority. He's sovereign over it. Assuming the Lord comes back in this day and age in which we find ourselves and we're all up out of here and and that governor, Andrew Cuomo, that murderous governor, he, he, he has not repented. He is still going about killing people like he has been doing. He's going to look up and he's going to realize that all those old folks that he just wanted to get rid of out of his state to free up some tax money, he just enlarged the army that's now coming against him. And he will realize that life is precious to God and not something to be thrown away as to make life more convenient. He will find out on that day. So I ask the question again, church, and hopefully by now it's clear to all of us. Why does it not matter for the Christian that Joe Biden is in office? It's because our king is sovereign and appointing authority and over the wicked acts of authority. So do we, do we vote the way that we know is so biblically true? Yes. Do we hold true to our convictions? Yes. Do, do, do we, are we able to say, yes, I've been so changed. I'm such a freak of nature in this culture today that I'm actually willing to say what is right and what is wrong anymore, and I'm going to do what is right. We certainly vote that way. We certainly support that way. We do everything that we can to see that godly leadership is in office. We do all those things that we can. But at the end of the day, church, we have a rest, we have a trust, and we have a peace because our king is sovereign and appointing authority and over any possible wicked acts that they could possibly, possibly commit. So what is, what is the commission of our king, church? This is, and, and I hope if you hear anger in my voice, good. It's because I'm angry that people call sin good. I'm angry that people have switched the two. How horrible that we've got, we've got all of this. We've got all of this. 
And there's still people walking around confused about some of these things. It is a shame. It is a pitiful, pitiful state shame. And, and honestly, church, let us never, ever, ever put a feather in our cap that we were the church that grew during COVID. Let us never, ever put this feather in our cap of my pastor's better than your pastor and we preach the Bible more than you do and we're all close to falling. We're all close to being deceived. So let us all be super, super humble before the Lord today and remember that take heed lest you, when you stand, lest you fall. He that should not fall down, church, ought not walk in slippery places. So let us keep a, a humble hunger about us that keeps us so relying on Christ to say, Lord, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want this cunning of the devil to infect my life in a way that I can't even see anymore. I don't want to love darkness rather than light. I want to do what's right. I want to trust in His goodness. I want to trust in His sovereignty. Yes, when He promises to feed me and clothe me, and when He also tells me that He is in control of this thing, when He is in control of the authority that is there, and He is sovereign over the acts that they can commit. So church, lastly, i just tell you, what is, what is the commission of our King? Those are the things of our Lord that we know, but what should our attitude be going forward? What ought... What ought to be our heart's thoughts as we continue on in the years ahead? The encouragement that I would love to give this morning, church, is to simply march on. Worry not. Take heart. Fear not. Be steadfast. Speak up. Press on. If any of these resonate with your heart, let your mouth say amen. Endure to the end, church. Do not cower. Run this race. Fight with His Word. Fight on your knees. Fight in prayer. Be moved by the cross. Fulfill the Great Commission. Stand for the truth. Be filled with His Spirit. Be found faithful. Love His Word. Love your neighbor. Magnify His name. Minister His Gospel. Mimic His holiness. Multiply His disciples. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That is the commission of our King Church. Would you stand with me as we come to the music? Why is it, church, that we can say these things? Why is it that we can have peace in unpeaceful times? It's because the King that we are commissioned by is the Prince of Peace. Why is it that we can have boldness, have boldness like a lion in this time where everyone else seems to be cowering? Even the people that used to be side by side with us. Why is it that we can have that kind of boldness? It's because the king that we are commissioned by is the lion of the tribe of Jude. Amen? Why is it that we should not fear the giants that, that seemingly is as the government strengthens and seemingly the church weakens? Why is it that we should not be fearful of those giants? Is because the king that we are commissioned by, he is able to still, church, he is still able to defeat giants with little shepherd boys. Why is it that we should not fear fire? Because the king that we are commissioned by is the one who walks through the fire with us. Pastor Ben, do you really believe that? Yes, I believe it. Do you, do you really believe that someday we're going to be riding on white horses with Christ coming down and against this God? Yes! Believe it with all my heart. And, I, and just to let you know, church, I don't believe it because seminary academically trained me to believe it. I believe it because I was once dead and now I'm alive. I used to have a dead heart 
And now the heart that I have is alive with faith. Do I academically understand all of Scripture? No. But do I have faith to believe everything I don't? Yes. Will I march on? Yes. Because I believe it. I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Have you? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Because if you have not tasted and seen that the Lord is good, persecution comes, as, as government overreach comes, as all these things come that we all probably foresee coming, you'll fail. Just like I would. And just like anyone else. But if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, if you're in the likeness of His death, if you're in the likeness of His burial, if you're in the likeness of His resurrection, you'll have faith. Your heart will be made new. He'll wash you whiter than snow. Your sins will be forgiven. And on that day when the battle lines are drawn, you're going to be on the winning team. Amen? If that's good news, praise your Lord. So let's worship Him like He is who He says He is. We're going to sing two songs. During the last song, you can remain standing through both of these songs. During the last, the gentleman will come to take up our offering. So have that ready in hand as we worship together. Would you lead us, Brianna?